With the sports world on pause, we've teamed Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson together for Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point headman, right to Kucherov. Score! Patrick Kucherov! Never gets old. That call for sure. Dave Mishkin, bringing it in. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linelli, along with my partner, Eric Erlinson. We've got a fun show planned for you today. We've got a poll question as well. Let's get right to it. You can weigh in. We've got some questions starting to trickle in as well. At Bolts Radio, are you more inclined now to attend a hockey game compared to, say, two months ago? I think everybody in some capacity feels a bit better about where they are today than when this virus shut everything down. However, there are a lot of people out there that don't want to do anything and want to stay inside and make sure they're safe and not coming out till we get a vaccine. But then I think there are a lot of you out there that are willing to test the waters and full-blown go right into things to feel normal again. And part of being normal, at least in our space, E, is going to sporting events. And it's why we wanted to ask the question, uh, again, at Bolts Radio, are you more inclined now to attend a hockey game compared to two months ago? And a guy to ask that question, I think really good to have him on in the next segment, would be Jay Feaster former Lightning GM of that 04 Stanley Cup team, also now Vice President of Community Hockey Development in the Lightning organization. He can talk to us about the mindset of GMs and maybe where the league is right now, amongst other things, E. But um, I think some fun debate today on the show about a couple of topics we're throwing out there. Yeah, there's no doubt that I think a lot of people's approach is is much much different than where we sat two months ago. There's no doubt. And again, I, I still think there has to be um, a, a certain high percentage of caution as we approach this. But I think there are ways to now understand what we're up against, how to deal with it, uh, how to keep yourself safe when you're out. Obviously, you can't be 100%. But there's nothing 100% in life that you can say that you're guaranteed. <laughs> to go outside the four walls of your house and, and not put yourself at risk in some capacity. But as I've told you before, I know my enemy now. I know how to combat it, and I know how to keep it at bay. Um, so far, so good, knock on wood, two months into this situation. So many times as myself and my wife have been out uh, in the public, in stores and whatnot, that everything has been uh, good so far. Uh, we take our precautions. We take our masks. We take our hand sanitizer and everything else that we need to do. We still keep some of our groceries, our dry goods, uh, off in a separate area of the house for uh, about a day or so before we put them away. So uh, I know my attitude has changed a little bit since uh, we were here in March where it was a little bit more of, a, of an unknown. And well, I was going to ask you, I, I was going to ask you, because I, I get the sense from doing this show still that you may have more reservations about trusting the public to do the right thing than maybe I do. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. Uh, just because, okay. you know, I, I, I see some, I see it within some of my own family members, not here in the area, but, you know, who live elsewhere and I, and I see their, you know, uh, approach to it. And, you know, it, it does have me a little bit worried and there's still so many people who are just, I will not wear a mask and okay, I, I get that. But uh, as long as people understand that the wearing a mask doesn't necessarily protect me from you, I'm protecting you from me and vice versa. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing that, um, you know, wearing a mask will do. And there's not a lot, a lot of pushback. So, yeah, I think in large, large crowds, I mean, what was, I saw the video of uh, down in South Florida somewhere, there was a police had to go break up a party of 3,000 people. I mean, come on, we're not past this yet. It's still out there. Um, gathering in groups like that is going to be uh, a problem. 
what was it we saw yesterday at a church in California? One single person in the church affected infected 64 people. Um, stuff like that does have me a little bit concerned, but again, I understand what it is now. I'm okay, I think, uh, going out in public. I'm okay, I think, if uh, I went into a restaurant even, uh, or a movie theater. I know movie theaters aren't even open yet, uh, but I understand you know, what I'm up against now. So uh, with that aspect, this, I do how feel much, more comfortable. How much do you believe, and I think this is part of the problem for a lot of people, you don't know who to trust because there have been so many conflicting reports out there about what works what doesn't work? Does locking down everything and staying inside really prevents this coronavirus from, from getting to the mass population? Or, you know, a lot of people e believe in the, the herd, um, you know, immunity type deal where you, you just get out there and, you know, that's the way we had fought diseases before. Eventually vaccines will come. But I get the sense there's been a lot of people who've been swinging and missing and some who have swung and connected on the appropriate actions. And I think that, in large part, has a lot of people so frustrated. And I think it's one of the reasons why you see so many people out there who are trying to open up businesses defy certain orders, because I think, one, their livelihood's at stake. I mean, you and I have discussed this before. The economic damage we've done to our country is something we won't fully grasp, I think until a couple years down the road when we kind of look back and reflect on these things. But I also think there are a lot of people out there who at, at some point in your mind, I think it's because of survival, you decide how risky you want to be with your life, which is something you and I do and everybody else does with our lives anyways, with decisions we make. And I think that's why you see so many people out there that are willing to go out and reopen things and take measures. What I've been encouraged about it is that at least on the news, uh, I, I saw, I think it had to have been in Vegas, um, you're seeing uh, hair salons open up and how innovative that they've been in terms of having protected shields around maybe the table where you're playing cards at a casino or how you're getting your hair done or your nails done, that companies now are thinking outside the box to keep that social distancing in place and at the same time opening up their business. So from that standpoint, and I think businesses have to, because if you don't adapt, you're going to be under pretty quickly, that we're starting to see more of that. And I'm encouraged by that. I think you're always going to get a few knuckleheads, as I've said, that, that kind of defy logic. You get that everywhere. But I, I am starting to see businesses, it appears to be innovative and figuring out ways to be safe, but also to get back up and running. And, and that's the key to me. How, how safe are you making it for me? You know, and uh, how safe are you making it for anybody that's that's with me and my party, whatever it is we're doing? Um, you know, and it, so there are those aspects of it. Um, you know, even, uh, again, watching the news last night, uh, a, a brewing company in Pinellas County uh, couldn't understand why they couldn't be open because they didn't classify as a restaurant. They were still classified as a bar, even though they had it. It was just an outdoor patio with tables that were actually 10 feet apart. You know, why couldn't they open? They were trying to do the right thing and be precautionary because they didn't serve yes. food. The only right. food they offered was through a food truck. And I, yeah. then I see today that, you know, because of that, Pinellas County has said, okay, those establishments can open. Um, you know, again, how safe are you making it for me? How safe are you making it for the other people around uh, as well? Uh, and then, of course, I don't know if you saw the bumper tables that uh, I did see a that. place in Baltimore <laughs> put together. I did see that. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that looked, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not a big drinker. That looked pretty ridiculous. But again, you know, you and I have talked about innovative ways to yeah. think outside the box for the league when they come back about accommodating fans or how you view the game. These are things that restaurants and bars have to do. And if that's a way to get people to come drink at your placey, I don't know yeah. if you would feel comfortable in that environment. I'd be more afraid I'd knock somebody over <laughs> with their drink in their hand. But hey, that might be a good way if you're single to meet a woman. 
You know? Hey, how you I'd doing? Be, I'd be more concerned that uh, after a few too many drinks that it would turn into a game of bumper cars. <laughs> you know what? And then that, Actually, that'd be a great idea. Actually, what if that was your transportation home? That would be tremendous. Uh, now that's going way outside the box it uh, on thinking. But uh, but again, again, th- thinking about how you can, can keep it yeah. safe. And that's why I would feel more comfortable. I, I'm one of those ones. I would still wear a mask. And, you know, I've read the reports of... You know, keeping a mask on too long, you're maybe you're taking in too much carbon dioxide. But um, you know, then I see doctors and nurses who are wearing masks for twelve hours a day, and um, you know, so I, I'm I'm not affected by by that thought process. So I would still wear a mask out in a public situation for the time being until I feel comfortable with it. But I, I think we are moving more in the direction that uh, things are going to get back to whatever this new normal is until we find some sense of the science catching up and again encouraging encouraging signs on a lot of different fronts in terms of how that is taking place and positive signs in in uh, how some of these vaccines or treatments are are working and you know hopefully that can continue and that would make it uh, even more safe for uh, so many people to just put themselves in the position but again i think right now i think large crowds still need to be avoided it does and you know bob had a uh, he wanted to chime in Again, at Bolts Radio, at Greg Linelli, at Eric underscore Erlinson with a K at the end of E's name. He says, have to see what the makeup for attendance would be. If I go with someone, I would not want them sitting six feet away. Unless, Bob, of course, they had some serious gas, which let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> he goes, I don't think we'll have to worry about attending a game for quite a while. I think we're all in agreement there. However, but what if there is a vaccine or treatment? then it changes things, no? And I agree with that. If there's a vaccine, I think for a lot of people, the fact that there is a vaccine out there, I think you may go regardless if you even get the vaccine or not. Uh, in terms of the treatments, uh, again, I keep going back to you know hydroxychloroquine. And if that's something that they can continue to mass produce in addition to treating, tinkering with the medication... Um, because, of course, we know that treats malaria and uh, other uh, diseases like lupus and things like that that have been pretty effective. And that's one of the things that has come out of this from other countries as well, in particular France, where they've done some studies on this, e, that that has been really if you take it before. So in other words, if, if I told you that you had to take hydroxychloroquine um, and it was provided to you by your doctor so you knew it was safe for a couple of weeks— um, like anything else, like a vitamin or a cholesterol pill, would you take it? And if you did, uh, would you be more inclined to go out in public and, and go to a sporting event? Well, first, what's your answer on that? Yes. 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 You, you've, done, you've done research on it? You've... Yes. Okay. I, I, yes. I, I admit I haven't done enough research on it. Well, well when um, I say research, when I say research, I'm talking about you're talking to your doctor. Okay. Let's say you, you, you get it and you, you tell your doctor, listen, I know hydroxychloroquine, and I think it's combined with zinc. It is, it's not just hydroxychloroquine. It's, it's combined with, with, I believe it is zinc. And this has proved over the years to treat other viruses and diseases. And if this is something that you wanted to take, you'd have to consult with your doctor. But if your doctor was like, yeah, I see no problem why you can't go on it, um, do you feel a bit better about that, assuming that it's it's good for you and, and there are no really huge side effects? I guess I would have to educate myself a little bit more on it yeah, to understand what it is and what the effects are and what the side effects might be, uh, you know, before I would have before I would make that decision on what it is. Um, but, yeah, I, like I said, I, having been in the media for as long as I have been, I, I think I can I have an understanding of, of sources to trust. Uh, when it comes to news of this nature and all this kind of stuff. So I can, yeah. I can educate myself in a way and I can keep my family educated in a way from understanding where the sources are coming from and just be and educated, be trusted. So yeah, that's, to me, that's all it's about. That's all, you that's all it's about is just make sure you understand what you're up against. And I think I feel that I do. And I feel a lot more comfortable. Like I talked about my, we have family scheduled to come down. They haven't told us for sure they are, but we have scheduled uh, family to come down here in a few weeks um, that was supposed to be my son's graduation party. Um, I have no problem with them coming. I because I know where they've been. I know what they've been doing, uh, and I know what we've been doing. And I I feel okay in that situation. Did they keep a daily journal so you can review it? They do not. 
He's but like, listen, you guys, know, you want the bathroom here, you didn't wash your hands. That's going to be a problem for me. Even though one of them is a, well, actually two of them are uh, firefighters. Uh, Whoa. Well, so they're yeah. probably even more safe. Yeah. So I know that they've been going out and yes. they've been taking care of themselves and Good. Uh, everything like that. So, uh, again, I don't have a problem being around them. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, again, I, I just, I've educated myself and understand well, for that what, reason. what we're dealing with. Yeah. For that reason. But you, you may have a problem being around them for other reasons. Uh, depends on how much alcohol is involved. We might need those bumper bars. I was going to say, can we order bumper? Can we order those for at the Erlinson house? You, you know what, E? I think, I think we found it. Everybody go to E's house, but the only way you can be in attendance is if you have those, those tubes looking ridiculous. And I want pictures. I actually want – because you know what, E? I'm more inclined to watch you do that than I am of soccer. <laughs> well, there's no to doubt. To me, that's more, more entertaining. More entertaining. <laughs> For you, for, e, you for sure. E intoxicated, uh, or some European league that I've <laughs> never heard of playing for the first time with no fans in attendance. See, so you, you had another opportunity yesterday to watch it at two thirty. Now you're gonna yeah. have to wait till the weekend to well, check out the Bundesliga. I tell you what, I'm, I'm boy, my count down the days. <laughs> count down the days. I can't <laughs> wait. Which goes faster, the next inch that grows on your grass, or this, the weekend to watch Bundesliga? Um. Watching that grass grow. That's, that's <laughs> There's no doubt. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'd much rather do that. <laughs> no offense to soccer. Uh, uh, we've gone you know, when people say that, quickly, by the way, so. no offense to soccer, that is a totally bogus statement. Yes, I just came out and it's like It's like saying, I, did. I, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm going to be rude. It's the same way. You know what we should do? We should open it up, too, um, because I think our audience appreciates you know the dialogue you and I have had back and forth here as, as we kind of go through this pandemic we should open up and ask ask us anything you know if there's some tweets that you want about our professions about what we do on the side if if that's something that interests you we're going to get into i think a little radko gudas talk because i think it was interesting the comments he made the over the weekend about playing or in his case not playing um but if you have a question you know kind of ask us anything just hit us up on twitter i think uh i think that would be kind of fun to uh to throw those those topics around a bit. But we have, what, Jay Feaster coming up next, which is going to be a lot of fun too, righty? Yep. Yeah, we're going to talk to Jay about uh, – we've got a lot of topics we can talk to Jay about. Uh, obviously, Teresa Feaster, his daughter, um, yes. made some history uh, last week. Uh, so we'll talk to him about that. They just showed the uh, Game 7 against Calgary over the weekend on Fox Sports Sun. He was part of the Zoom call that uh, took part with uh, former players and staff members mm -hmm. uh, re-watching that game together. So we'll ask him about that. And, of course, he has got a great uh, in, uh, perspective from having been an NHL GM and what things are going through right now. So we're looking forward to talking to Jay, and we will do that when we come back on the other side of this. He is Greg Linelli. I am Eric Erlinson. You're listening to Power Lunch right here on Lady Power Play. Craig Linelli and Eric Erlinson are the perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I'm Eric Erlinson. He is Greg Linelli, and we are pleased right now to be joined by former Lightning General Manager Jay Feaster and Jay, how is everything in the Feaster household these days, two months into this uh, pause in the NHL action? Uh, things are, are going well. We, uh, we are adapting. My, my wife actually, uh, she has a, a part-time job, and she goes into the office every morning. And my son, Ryan, has finished his freshman year at Florida State, finished it virtually. And my youngest wow. son, Kevin, is finishing this week at Bloomingdale High School his freshman year. So doing the virtual learning thing, but uh, all good, everybody healthy. So we appreciate that it. That is great, great to hear. And uh, I, I want to hit this right off the top because we do appreciate you coming on. But uh, your daughter, Teresa, uh, continues to, to make uh, some tracks in her career. Uh, one of the first ones in NCAA on a coaching staff at Providence College was recently named last week to USA's national junior team that will hopefully compete in the uh, World Junior Championships in December and January of this coming year. Uh, just how proud of that are you to watch her kind of go down this path? We, we are very, very proud of her, and we're, we're very excited for her as well. Uh, as you know, Eric, we, we've talked about this before. She 
She absolutely loves the game. And one of the things that I find most rewarding about this experience is that she has really done this on her own. Uh, I, I offered, I, I offered to open doors and make phone calls and that sort of thing. And, and she was quite insistent that that's thanks very much, but I want to do it on my own. And that's what I love about it. And, and in this instance, the opportunity for team USA and becoming the first female coach member of the coaching staff for a uh, team USA world junior team. It, it is thanks to the work she's done at PC because the head coach at Providence, Nate Lehman, is the head coach for Team USA this year. And he he told Teresa when he knew that he was getting the opportunity, he said, if I can, I want you to be the video coach. And obviously he needs to go through the, the protocols and the process with USA Hockey. And so it was quite a thrill when uh, when he told her that she was, in fact, going to be part of his staff. It's also really cool that the tournament this year is in Edmonton, Alberta, and Red Deer, Alberta. And while Teresa was actually attending Providence College from 2010 to 2014, while I was working in Calgary, Alberta, she nonetheless came home uh, for Christmas, and she came home in the summers. And and she got to know Brent Sutter very well and the Sutter family, uh, particularly Brent's family. And, of course, Brent is the owner of the Red Deer Rebels, of the WHL. So uh, I'm, I know that she's hoping that there'll be a, a bit of a reunion in terms of Brent and, and his wife, Connie, and the kids. Jay Feaster joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. And uh, Jay, it's Greg Linnelli. Great to be with you. And congrats again on your daughter. And I, I've got to ask you just about women's hockey in general. You know, a lot of sports try to make inroads in women's sports to get more females to play. And I've got to think the NHL's done a pretty good job of being a, an outlet for a lot of other leagues to get women involved in their sport. Because as we know, the more people that uh, watch the game, uh, the more popular it becomes. Yeah, there's no question about that, Greg. And we, it's something that we take great pride in and, and really try to push from the standpoint of the community hockey department that I have responsibility for now. We believe that the women's game in particular in Florida and, and here in the Tampa region, that it has a tremendous opportunity for growth. And, and we want to see more women involved. We want to see more young women playing. We take great pride in making it clear that our learn to play program through the NHL and the NHLPA, and then it's next steps program. We call the rookie league. Both of those very much co-ed programs, uh, certainly all of the rink partners that we work with, all of their house leagues are, are co-ed, as are their travel teams, and as is right on through to the high school hockey league that we run, the Lightning High School Hockey League. But the thing that we're trying to do, because we know from our research and our, our surveys, the data tells us that the, the young girls would like to play with other young girls that, you know, yes, it's fine to play co-ed, but there's also something to be said to have that bonding experience with other young ladies. And so we're really trying to build that program within our, our lightning uh, made programming and community hockey, because we do believe that uh, it's a real opportunity when, when girls start to realize, Hey, wait a minute, you're telling me I can play that. I, I can do that, and they see the U.S. women's Olympic team and the U.S. women's national team. All of a sudden, that uh, that starts to become much more concrete for them. Jay, along the lines of uh, the high school hockey league, uh, Jake Richard was just drafted uh, last month by Oshawa in the OHL. How big of a deal is that for the Lightning Hockey League to have one of their alumni now drafted into the OHL? It's a, it's a very big deal. We... Uh, we're very, very proud and happy, and, and we, we certainly, that's our goal. We, when we took over, it's, it's been five full seasons that we've run the league now. Uh, you know, one of the goals that we had was to grow the number of kids playing the game. We, we wanted to grow, and we've done that. When we took over, there were just over 300 kids in grades 9 through 12 that were playing in the high school league. This past season, we had uh, 625 youngsters register in in the league so we we have experienced the growth but the other thing that we wanted to do was really continue to improve the quality 
And, and we've started a program, we've had it going for two years now, called the Elite Development Program, EDP. We have an 18U team and a 16U team, each one coached by former Tampa Bay Lightning players. And they exist as exclusively travel teams. They play in tournaments. They're, they're tournament teams that travel all around the U.S. to play in tournaments and, and get that exposure. We, we want to improve that quality. And, and ultimately, we'd like to create a situation where there's enough high-level hockey in the state that the really good players don't have to leave the state to to go get the exposure and the recognition and hopefully be able to go play Division One. Not only is it a big deal to have a player drafted in the OHL uh, like Jake was, but also we were fortunate a couple of years ago to have Nate Smith, who played his high school hockey for the Mitchell Mustangs, won a state championship, won our league championship, but won a state championship and a USA Hockey national championship with the Mustangs, but to have him get drafted uh, into the NHL by the, the Winnipeg Jets. So it, it is a big deal. And, and as Phil Esposito famously said uh, a while back, that that's when we'll know we've, we've made it as a, as a hockey market when one of the kids from our area is a first-round pick in, in the National Hockey League. Jay Feaser joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Jay, let's switch gears a bit and look at what's happening uh, behind the scenes maybe in the National Hockey League trying to get this game back and some of the questions I think a lot of people are asking publicly. I'm curious, as somebody who obviously GM'd a team, a Stanley Cup team, and, and somebody who's been involved in hockey for a long time, just kind of put your, your general manager hat on again. And What are some of the questions you would want answered behind the scenes obviously there's a lot of them but i mean are there a couple that you know stick out for you so you can kind of get prepared uh for the season to resume once that happens the, the one thing that that i think that we can start as as a given and not really have to worry about is that before anybody starts the national hockey league i mean they've hired their own experts and and disease control experts and and obviously they're communicating with all the relevant government agencies and government officials both in the united states and north of the border in canada so we're, we're not going to have to be concerned i don't think about the proper protocols being in place in, in order to keep everyone healthy and safe that's in my mind that's a given and and so if i don't have to worry about that as a general manager I, I want to make sure that I know exactly what we can do, when we can do it, how we can do it, and that I, I know the timeline we're going to do it on so that if, for example, I have players that are, that are living right now back home, that they've gone to Europe, for example, I, I want to be able to get them back into the country and know that they're going to be ready to go. I, I know that that's an issue, for example, with some of the Canadian teams. Uh, you take a team like Calgary, where they have both Johnny Gaudreau, Johnny Hockey, and uh, Kachuk are both in the in the U.S. and and as you know, if you go back now to Canada, it's a 14-day quarantine. So those are the kind of things. I mean, how how is that going to impact our startup? And and I think that one of the things that that's been really important through it, and I know that the with Tampa that Julian Brisebois has done an incredible job of communicating with the players. Someone had asked me a while back, you know, could you fashion this or compare it to the lockout in 04? And, and my answer was no, because there's a major difference. Back in the 0405 lockout, we were not allowed to communicate with players. And, and I think that's a big disadvantage. And, and that's something that I said was going to be very important and that the teams that come out of this and when we do restart, the teams who are ready to go and successful will be the ones who've done the good job communicating. And no doubt in my mind, I, I know for a fact that Julian Brisebois communicates with his players on a weekly basis. He is right on top of that. It, they've made sure that they're continuing to communicate with each other. I give the, the team leadership, particularly the captain, Steven Stamkos, high marks there. 
So again, I, I, I think that the big thing you want to know is you want to stay on top of it. When can we start? How can we start? What are those initial steps going to be? And, and then that you have your plan in place that you can maximize and take maximum advantage of whatever it is that the league is going to permit you to do. If it's that you cannot have more than five players on the ice at a time, for example, you have to make sure that all of your practice plans and everything you're doing, that you're maximizing your time with those five guys. You're disinfecting and cleaning the facility, bringing the next five in, and again, maximizing your time with them. That's That to me is, that will make a huge difference as to who gets out of the gate with a, with a real good start when play resumes. We're joined here by Jay Feaster on Power Lunch, uh, former Lightning General Manager, currently serving as Executive Director of Community Hockey Development. And Jay, we saw news just come out before we got on the, the air about the border between Canada and U.S. Uh, being agreed to be closed for a, an additional month for non-essential workers. Um, there was a quote from Dale Daly. He says that uh, their hope is it will not materially affect the resumption of play timelines they're currently contemplating. But how big of an issue is that? You kind of referenced it there with, with the players in Calgary. But, you know, even even teams here in the States, they've got players in Canada that would have to come yeah, as well. I, I think uh, it how, is. I think it is an issue. There, there's there's no doubt in my mind. And, and that's something that is going to have to be factored in. You, you are going to have to look at it and say, okay, if we want to start by X date, all right, now, if I do have players who need to get back into the U.S. from Canada or vice versa, you know, now I have this 14-day quarantine period. So when realistically must I get them back? And, and, and you're going to have to factor all of that in. I, I wonder whether it becomes an issue with the National Hockey League when they start looking at are we going to choose a Canadian city as a hub location? Uh, you know, the thing that the league is going to want to do, they, they are going to want to select hub sites where the, the, the entry, if you will, is as easy as possible. And I don't mean into the country, but just the, the entry to be in the state. And uh, you know it here in Florida with our governor, Governor DeSantis, has said, we welcome all sports teams. We, we, we're going to be open for business. And, and there are other jurisdictions, other states that have done that. And I think that's really going to be an important component. And and so query whether in light of this, does that make opening and playing in Canadian cities something that's less likely? And, and I don't obviously have an answer to that, but uh, I think it is something worth following and keeping an eye on. Jay, we've seen in baseball, particularly with the idea of hub cities, some players balking at, being away from their families for, you know, a number of weeks, a number of months. Radko Gudis, former Lightning defenseman over the weekend, basically said he'd be fine with the league shutting down completely until there's a vaccine. It's pretty clear the league wants to play this year, and I've got to think they're they're doing that, understanding the risks involved, and the players obviously are a big part of this. And I guess as a guy who, again, GM to team, if you had some players that said, whoa, 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 we we don't want to play, but the league is saying we are going to play, how would you handle that situation? I think the big thing that you have to do, again, is communicate with the players. You, you, have, to, you, you have to hear them out. You have to understand what their concerns are. And, and then you have to take the, the science and, and you have to try to communicate that and, and make sure that everyone has a, an understanding. I, I think it's one of the terrible things about this pandemic is that, you know, we've seen it. We, we've seen the models have been incorrect. We've seen that there, there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of pandemonium that the sky is falling and and it hasn't necessarily materialized in that way. That's not to minimize a single death. That's you. You can't. There's there's no there's no minimizing the the devastation that this disease that this virus has wrought. But I do think it's important to be able to communicate with the players, and and make sure that they're getting solid information. It's important that they have correct information. And, and understand the science and truly understand the risks. And, and the one thing I am confident of, I, there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind, I do believe that unless the National Hockey League believed, Gary Bettman and the Board of Governors 
believe that they could safely restart the season and play a, a conclusion and then go into the playoffs unless they believe they could do it safely and taking care of the health and well-being of all of the constituents, the, the on-ice players, the training staffs, the coaches, the, the referees, the, the people working in the building, uh, the television broadcast teams, unless they believe they could do it safely, they wouldn't do it. And, and so in terms of those players who are reluctant or are expressing concern, I, I really do believe that it's a matter of education and it's a matter of education from team to player, as well as the lead to the players and the, the PA to the players. Let's, let's face it. If the national hockey league players association didn't believe it was safe and couldn't be done, they wouldn't agree to it. So I, I think that's a, that's a big component piece of it. Jay, what about the AHL? You know, you spent your time with the Hershey Bears, obviously, before you joined the Lightning organization um, a number of years ago. Uh, they just canceled their season, which wasn't a surprise. Uh, what kind of a challenge did they have? It's such an important part of the NHL because of the the, the, the feeder system and everything. Uh, what is their cancellation? And what their what might their future look like? You know, four or five months from now. Well, one, one of the things that's going to have to happen, and, and this will have to be collectively bargained, but how how are you going, how are NHL teams going to be able to deal with those players who were, in fact, in the American Hockey League, had been assigned there, had been in the league, normally would have been subject to recall following the NHL trade deadline and, and uh, you know, could have been on rosters at the end of the season. How, how are those guys going to be able to be recalled? It, typically, when an NHL team or when an AHL team season ends, if the NHL team is still playing in the playoffs, then, then you don't have the same uh, restrictions because they're, they're, they're finished playing the American League. Is that how we're going to treat this? That it's everybody's season, the AHL is done, and so there are no restrictions. How, how are you going to treat that? How are you going to have that taxi squad, if you will? What are the rules going to be for them? How are they going to be compensated in this scenario? Uh, they're, they're presumably wherever the hub locations are, wherever the teams are staying, whatever hotels are going to have to be there. Will there be enough ice for them to be able to practice independently? That typically is what happens. That group, that taxi squad, if you will, they, they don't practice with the main group of players. So all of those things are going to have to be looked at. And, and, and they, too, those guys are going to need some sort of training camp. So will the rules be modified and collectively bargained to allow, let's say it's six players that, that you're going to bring up. You're going to bring up another goalie. You're going to bring up a couple of defensemen and one forward line, just a simple six guys. Are, are those players going to be permitted to participate in that month-long or however long it is training camp prior to the restart? And then what is their status for the regular season games that are going to be concluded? And all of those things have to be collectively bargained, and, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how they're handled. Jay, we asked a question today on our uh, show Twitter page. Are you more inclined now to attend a hockey game compared to two months ago? So far, it's early in the voting. 57% said yes, 35% no, 8% said not sure. And we've had a few people who've commented and said, you know, I'll be watching hockey on TV for a while. If a Bolts home game is played um, on this particular gentleman's birthday in December, he'd be willing to go in person for that. How... Do you address the fan situation when we know so much revenue is generated from the gates? And do you have to find creative ways as an organization to keep people, keep fans engaged and, you know, want to spend their hard-earned dollars, you know, going and supporting their favorite hockey team? I, I don't think there's any question that you have to be creative and you have to recognize that this this is not a scenario of business as usual and, and I truly believe that every one of the NHL member clubs and, and obviously the league itself recognizes that you, you can't simply say, okay, government and scientists have said it's okay to, to gather again in groups and, 
and we've unlocked the doors and we're going to play. And so come on in. That's that's not the reality. And as I said earlier, just as the concern with the league and the Board of Governors is the safety of in the no fan scenario, everyone who is involved in playing and, and putting on the games, certainly at whatever point in time there's fans are allowed to watch those games. The, the safety and health and well-being of the fans is going to be of primary importance. I, I know that within our own organization, that uh, our business analytics department, that we we have been conducting surveys of our fans, our season ticket members, our suite holders, our sponsors. Uh, the NHL has been doing the same thing. And I can tell you that there are all sorts of, of groups that are are springing up throughout the National Hockey League from arena managers getting together on the Zoom calls and the WebEx conference calls and and talking about best practices for safety. Uh, Everything from food vendors and food distribution to parking lots. I mean, you you name it, talking about the, the cleanliness factor and disinfecting and, and, and how often and, and where and when to make sure the facilities are, are being cleaned and disinfected, you know, during a period, between periods, the whole, all of those things being discussed, a box office. I, I know that our, uh, the person who heads our box office activities, he's part of a larger trade group, if you will, that meets on a regular basis to discuss the the best practices in terms of box office operation the the gentleman who books our shows talking to other arena people around the country about what are the best practices going to be so no doubt all of those things are going to be an important factor and and there's no question there's no naivete on the on the part of any nhl organization i'm sure that it is not going to be business as usual. That, and and the fans not only are some of the fans going to take that approach of I'm I'm fine at home watching on TV for an extended period of time, but but the fans who in fact say, well, uh, okay, on my birthday, I'm 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 willing to go if the Lightning are playing home that day. I'm willing to go and watch the team play as part of my birthday celebration. But recognize that all of those fans who are coming out are going to be watching very closely in terms of what are the teams and the organizations and the buildings doing to ensure the, the health and safety of the, of the fans. Jay, what about um, this 2014 format? We kind of looked at it. There's a lot of people. You're never going to make anybody happy in this situation. It's very uh, obviously unprecedented, but you know, teams like Montreal will now have a chance to get in the playoffs and you know, where they, I think I saw the percentage was like about a half percent chance that they had when the league went on pause. Is there is there a way you know as the league thinks outside the box here? I mean, do you like this this idea of getting back and going to some sort of a playoff format when the league does come back? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Uh, you, yeah. uh, I, again, I, I I I think you have to look at it that it's just so unprecedented. And and the the number of asterisks that you're going to have to have for this season, just in general, uh, the the one thing that you need to do, what I do believe, is that you have to eliminate those teams that have no chance, and therefore their players have no interest in coming back and playing. I mean, keep in mind that the players at the point in time where the the season was paused, uh, you know, they they got another check. At the end of March, there's there's only one check that they have not received, and they didn't receive it because they decided to defer it. Uh, they deferred payment of the April 15 check to May 15, and candidly, I have not yet seen or heard anything about what decision they've made with respect to whether to take that May 15 check. So in terms of the, the, the balance of the season, it, most of the players, well, all the players, not most, the players who received most of uh, all but one last payment that they were due for this season. But you have teams like you, you take Detroit. Uh, Detroit's 42 points out of mm. the last wild card spot. I mean, if if I'm a player on that team, I have no interest in, in leaving my family and coming back for a, a whatever period training camp and then playing if it's going to be some number of round-robin games just so that we can say we played 
82 games. I mean, uh, the Detroits, the Ottawa's, the New Jersey's, the Buffalo's. You're right. Montreal is a perfect example that it's a team that's 10 points out of that last wild card spot. The chances that they were going to make it were infinitesimal. And so now if it's a 2014 format, they're in. In the West, you have San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, pretty clear that those three were not going to make it. And and so if you just take those seven, now you're at 2014. So uh, I, it's, it's, there's no perfect solution. There's no perfect answer. I, I do believe the commissioner, when he says that any anything they put together, it needs to it needs to be fair, and it needs to provide a fair opportunity to teams. It, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the draft, for example. I, I know that's one of the concerns on the parts of current NHL GMs that you take some of these teams that are outside that sixteen team window right now. That, that are, you know, part of the eight that are getting in because they're close. And, and, and in theory, if we have the draft before the season ends and the postseason ends, you could have a team that wins the draft lottery and, and then also wins the Stanley Cup. And you can imagine the hue and cry that will go out there. I, I just think that because there are no perfect solutions, that we have to have some willingness and flexibility and 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 willingness to trust both the league and the PA because this is not being done in a vacuum this is not Gary Bettman saying this is the way it's going to be Don Fear and the NHL Players Association they are an equal partner at that bargaining table and and so while it may not please everyone and it may create some situations that you look at and say oh boy that doesn't look quite right to me i i think that we we have to respect the the people that are ultimately going to have to make these decisions jay last question for me when play does resume let's assume it is this year what's a bigger concern for you is it going to be the the level of play is it going to be maybe the ice and what it's looking like or playing in a in an arena that's empty with no fans cheering your team on obviously all of them to some extent i'm sure but is there one that sticks out more than the others i don't know that there's one that is uh, is going to be a bigger factor than all the others i i really in my mindset and and it's just this this is just me i i look at this that once the restart happens that you're you're going to have a compressed period of time where the the ultimate goal out there is to win the Stanley Cup. We've we've all been off for the same period of time. We've all been off the same number of days off the ice. Uh, you know, now now it's a matter of who has stayed together as a team, who has who has maintained that that team bonding, that team spirit, that familial uh, atmosphere that that exists within the dressing room. And who is the hungriest? I, I look at a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning and what happened in the first round of the playoffs last year after the season they had. Things are going well this year. They're well positioned. And now the pause button gets pushed. I, I just think that this team is really looking at this as unfinished business and that they can't wait to get going. I, I don't think there's going to be some feeling out period for this group. And and that, to me, is what's going to make a difference. The, the, the teams that have stayed together, the teams that have maintained that mindset and that mentality, they're going to be the ones that come out. And it's almost a matter of the sheer will of it is, is going to get you through and push you through to, to ultimately be able to contend for a cup. So I, I don't know that there's any one issue that's greater than any other. And, and I'll say this, that if in fact, as a player or a coach or an organization, if, if you start being concerned about any of those issues, well, you know what? The ice might not be as good in the South if that's one of the hubs. Well, uh, you know, it's going to take a little while to get back into it or, or, well, I'm not sure if, if any of that stuff, if, if it were, I'm playing in an empty arena, how am I going to get motivated? If any of those things are things that are on your mind, you're, you're in trouble. And, and that's why 
I don't see this group. I don't see the Tampa Bay Lightning as allowing any of that stuff to creep into their thinking. I I, I believe that when they come back, it, it's going to be a team on a mission. Jay, final question, and we uh, appreciate your time uh, here with us on the show. Uh, went down memory lane over the last few weeks as all the playoff wins from 2004 were replayed. It was a lot of fun kind of going back and remember some of those things from that run to the Stanley Cup. Uh, they just had Game 7 of the weekend. You had the Zoom call with so many former players and other staff members. Just kind of how cool was that uh, during this whole situation to be able to kind of walk back down that memory lane from your perspective? It was absolutely awesome. Uh, and even prior to that Zoom call on Saturday night where we watched Game 7, uh, we had had a team Zoom call probably about maybe 10 days prior to. We had over 30 participants on that call uh, from the team players, staff, uh, coaches, and it was absolutely awesome. It, it was so great to see the guys and 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 see where they are now and what they're doing. And, you know, there were a number of them that, that participated with their kids sitting there in their laps or, hey, uh, you know, I'll be right back to the call. I have to put the little one to bed. And uh, We started that night at 8 o'clock, and it was still going, I believe, at, at 1 o'clock in the morning. So it, it's uh, – I, I said it a number of times, that group, you know, the whole you win together today and we or we win tonight and we walk together forever. And and that really is the case with that group. That they, The guys genuinely like and care about each other. It was so cool on that one. And again, Saturday night, the, the first one we had with the over 30 guys, uh, log into that one and there's Nikolai Hobby Bullen. It's eight o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, rather, in Russia. And and this past one on the Saturday night, it was, you know, four o'clock in the morning in Russia. And there's Nick on the call and to see him smiling and relaxed and joking around with the guys. It was it was just great. So I hats off to Fox Sports Sun for doing it and the Lightning Organization for doing it. And and it was it was a fun time for sure. I bet. I bet there was a lot of fun just to kind of watch it all sort of unfold as well. Uh, hopefully there's some more memories to come for the organization very soon. Jay, thank you so much for your time. It's great to talk to you. It's great to hear from you. Uh, continued health, and uh, hopefully next time we talk, it's about uh, what's taking place on the ice. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Jay. All right, Jay Feaster there joining us. Uh, some great conversation, but uh, we want to get to a break. We'll talk about some other, th- uh, uh, well, some of what Jay brought up there uh, when we come back. On the other side of this break, you are listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. I am Eric Rollinson. He's Greg Linelli. We'll be back right after this. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch with Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. Thanks to Jay Feaster. We've got a poll question for you to answer at Bolts Radio. Please do that. I am Greg Linelli. Eric Rollinson is my partner. Are you more inclined now to attend a hockey game compared to two months ago? Right now, 56% of you say yes. 8% still say you're not sure. Ryan says he would attend one with a lightning mask. And uh, Kay Jewett says, Lightning need a handkerchief mask blinged out. Screaming spreads germs. And there are many more goals coming. I I like the way she thinks there. She would be right. (laughs) She would be right. So get in on that conversation if you can. And, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to maybe tap into this a little bit beforehand. But we talked about this with Jay a tad talking to players who maybe have some reservations coming back. Radko Gudis over the weekend basically said, I'm paraphrasing, that you know he doesn't want to come back and play and feels like the league should just cancel this season until there's basically a vaccine. I get the sense, and I'm wondering what your take is, I get the sense that that's probably an extreme case, but one that's interesting. And, you know, Gudis is, is part of a team in the Flyers who were playing really well before this pause happened. I would think he plays once the the season resumes, but what if he doesn't? And how do you kind of navigate that situation? 
Yeah, that's that's a tough one to kind of get around if if you have a player who just says I'm not doing it. I I don't feel safe. And I, look, I, I would have to think that Rako Gudis is probably an outlier in that opinion, but he's probably also not the only one, right? So uh, again, I, I think it has to come down to a lot of what Jay was talking about: educating, educating, making sure they understand the facts and everything that the league is doing to ensure that everybody's safe. Um, you know, look, we and, and, and they're going to have great examples because the as we've talked about with the Bundesliga returning, you know, they actually had I think one or two players actually test positive during this isolation period, but they resume play, and then we'll see what the results are going to be because there is uh, a lot of testing that's taking place with all staff members and players with the Bundesliga. Uh, just saw a report that the the Premier League in in Britain. Um, which is the one of the bigger leagues in the world. Uh, they tested uh, 748 players and staff members and six tested positive. That's a, a low percentage. That's below 1% uh, in what's reporting back in the testing that they have. So all these things are being put in place. I think it's a, it's a uh, question of just making sure that you educate the players, make sure they totally understand what is taking place and the precautions that are being taken place to do this because um, – you know, they has to it has to get back. As we've talked about, it it's a it's a massive economic situation if they don't come back and play compared to whether they come back and, and finish this season in some format, and, and it impacts the players and the teams uh, as well, and the fans, of course, who who want to you know cheer for for their teams. So, to me, it it all goes back to that that big thing about educating and just understand what you're dealing with. Yeah, and of course, then the team has every right to. I don't want to say come down on Gudis. They may be a little bit more understanding than the league collectively, but it's one of those things, too, where if your teammates are out there competing and you decide you don't want to, boy, that would be a tough pill to swallow because we always talk about that camaraderie with hockey players. It's, you know, everybody in this together, and you don't see too much of that, you know, somebody defecting a bit, even if it deals with, you know, the health issues that um, are out there. I've got to think, too, if testing is in place to the point where players are being tested around the clock, you might be more inclined to say, you know what, all right, I'm coming back because, you know, I, I feel a little bit better of who has the virus, who doesn't. And honestly, if we treat this just like the flu in some capacity where if somebody does have it, you know, you're probably staying away from that person. You're cleaning everything down and you're just you're probably taking the appropriate measures you have to, like we talked about the other day. Yep, and that's where, as I asked uh, Brian Engblom yesterday, which, by the way, did you catch it? it? He called it a great, great question. So I'm just saying he did. a couple of he great, He really did. That, you know what? That's gotten you <laughs> a couple of levels here. That's, and that's I right. appreciate I that about you. A couple notches. But it, the peer pressure, right? Like, there, yeah. there's certainly going to be peer pressure um, in these situations. And, and, you know, that's where the your teammates would, again, try and educate you and understand and, you know, mm-hmm. play to the fact that they need you. You know, this is a team sport. This is the ultimate team sport in my mind in a lot of ways uh, because of how, uh, you know, the teams have to come together and you can't rely on just one or two superstars as maybe you can in another sport. Um, you know, so that I think the peer pressure would be a big factor in that as well in trying to make sure that everybody comes back and, and has the opportunity, especially for teams like Washington. I mean, Washington has a chance, you know. They won the Cup, obviously, in 2018. Uh, bounced in the first round last year, not quite like the Lightning, but they were knocked off by Carolina when people didn't expect them to beat. So they went out and made some changes, and they, there's a lot of people who feel Washington has a really strong case to to make a push in the Eastern Conference again this year. Um, you know, So it, it is interesting that perspective comes from a team that is uh, certainly not in danger of missing the playoffs and would be a major contender. Uh, I'm just curious to see if we get more and more of those comments. I, I, I bet we don't. I bet we get more and more comments of, yeah, we want to come back as long as it's safe uh, from players who were talked about because that's kind of the feel at least we've had from some of the players we've had here on the show and some of the players that have taken part in some of the Zoom calls that the Lightning have put together as well uh, that I think those are obviously the majority, and I, and I think that those sort of outliers like uh, Racco Gudas might eventually yeah. be brought back into the fold just through communication and education. Yep, no doubt about that. It's a good point by you. And uh, it's something we're going to continue to monitor and discuss. All right, tonight we have got the Game 5 broadcast. You're part of this with me. You joined me during the intermission reports back in, uh, what, 2016, Lightning and Penguins Eastern Conference Finals. It would be the last game Tampa Bay would win in this series. We're going to have that broadcast for you starting at 7. I'll have a pregame. Brian Metzer will be my pregame 
guest talking about uh, this series from the Pittsburgh's perspective. And that'll be on 95.3 WD and Lightning Power Play. Make sure you stay tuned for that. As I said before, E will join me throughout the broadcast. And uh, that was the, the butt goal. The, the butt goal. goal. Yes, the backside game winner. Yes. Uh, so by any means that. necessary. They don't ask yeah. how it went in. They just asked if no. it went in. It does. And uh, we'll have a lot, a lot of fun with that. Again, answer our poll question. Go at Bolts Radio on Twitter. And uh, we're asking you, are you more inclined now to attend a hockey game compared to two months ago? Tomorrow on the show, national guest, a guy who's pretty dialed into the league, I have to say, and always gives you a good opinion. Eric Francis from Sportsnet. We'll have him on to talk about what he's hearing. What's the latest going on in the league right now? And um, how does he see the league coming back when... It does. So I think that'll be fun to talk to uh, Eric about that. And then don't forget, too, Thursday, we've got Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. So a couple of national guests for us to uh, talk to. Yeah, looking forward to it, especially Scotty Lachlan. I haven't yeah. talked to Scotty in a while, so it'll be good to have him on. And uh, and I'll leave this up to you. Should we ask Eric Francis if uh, Marty Jelena scored in Game 6 in Calgary? <laughs> I think you'll ask that question. <laughs> okay, I'll try. <laughs> what do you think he'll say? Um, I'll frame it in a way to where I, I don't make myself look bad. But uh, so okay. you'll have to you have to wait to see how I frame it. I love it. That's a tease. That's a that's a that's a <laughs> tremendous tease on your part. E, good job as always, buddy. We'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. All right, Steve Ersnick producing. Thank you, buddy. Thanks to everybody who listened. We always appreciate it. Again, hit us up on Twitter throughout. We'll uh, answer throughout the day, and then we'll use that material for uh, the show the following day. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Eric Francis tomorrow. And uh, you can hear the show again later on in the day uh, here on Lightning Power Play 3, 6, and 9. So make sure you do that as well. All right, I'm Greg Linnelli. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.